Anyways, I, I thought like this is a decent cookie, you know, a, a decent brand um, with pretty good sales. Like I, I just saw a lot of room for improvement. So I'm like, if they're already doing this amount of sales, I think I can take this and really, you know, put a little bit more capital behind it and, and really expand it. What's up, Zach Tier author, entrepreneur, and customer relationship guru. Welcome to Give Innovation, growth strategies for restaurants and retailers, where we find industry leaders to share their secrets to grow your business. This podcast is sponsored by Ovation, a customer experience and marketing platform that gets you more reviews, more feedback, and more revenue. Want to learn more? Visit OvationUp.com. Welcome to another edition of Give an Ovation. I am joined today by the cookie monster himself, Bennett Maxwell. Turns out Bennett and I actually met like seven years ago in one of my friend's uh, houses. And anyway, Bennett and I just put that together right before we yeah. hit record. So it's <laughs> cool to come full circle. And Bennett apparently met my dad like 15 years ago. Yeah. So here we are back in the throes of things talking about food. Bennett, for those of you who don't know, is the founder of Dirty Dough, which is taking cookies to the next level with the world's first triple layer cookie and super great low franchise cost. Now he is also front and center for the infamous slash famous cookie wars. Uh, he's, he's getting sued by some people who are claiming all this kinds of stuff on copyright infringement. But I don't know how you, how you copyright a cookie. Um, but we're here to talk about more than just the lawsuit. We're here to talk about Bennett. We're here to talk about Dirty Dough. First of all, tell us a little bit about Dirty Dough. How long ago did you start it? Why did you start it? And how are the cookies so freaking good? Yeah, um, I wish I could take credit for most of this, but I, I'm not going to be able to. So Dirty Dough was started, I went to Mountain View High School uh, in Orem. And a guy that I went to high school with moved to Arizona State to go to college and he was doing cookies. And I, I didn't even know this though, but he started Dirty Dome. Um, then I was looking at getting a crumble franchise until I found out that it was owner operated. I'm like, that's cool, but that's owning your own job. Like, I don't want to pay money to go be forced to work in there every day and I can't hire and I can't replace myself. Like, Chick-fil-A not, model. My, not, not my model. To, so um, anyways, I saw Tyler, um, this buddy from high school, he posted, he's like, Hey, I got a delivery only business and I want to take it to a storefront looking for money. So I was like, Oh, instead of buying a crumble franchise, I could invest in dirty dough. Now it's, you know, passive. Um, for me, he's, he's doing all the work. So I did, I moved to San Diego. I was running a solar company. Then I'm like, Tyler, let's franchise this. I'm your first franchisee. I got a space down here in Pacific beach. And he's like, dude, cookies suck. Restaurants suck. Like I'm working 80 hour weeks. Uh, my wife wants to go back to Utah. I want to go back to Utah. Like we're, we're done. We don't want a franchise. We're looking at selling it. And I thought, what the hell, you know, like let's, I was already going to invest in a franchise. Um, and anyways, I, I thought like, this is a decent cookie, you know, a, a decent brand, um, with pretty good sales. Like I, I just saw a lot of room for improvement. So I'm like, if they're already doing this amount of sales, I think I can take this and really, you know, put a little bit more capital behind it and, and really expand it. And the goal was going to be making it the most simple food franchise in existence, really lowering the barrier of entry to entrepreneurship by giving them a game plan, which comes with franchising, reducing the startup costs when we're compared to like a crumble by less than half, the time required less than half. And you don't, you're not required to be an owner operator because we made the processes so simple. Um, 
And then the expertise, like we do a pre essentialized production. So like those three layer cookies, the only reason why we're doing three layer cookies is because you have to invest in warehousing and machines that do that. You can't do that by hand. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's raising the barrier of uh, entry for competitors while lowering the barrier of entry for entrepreneurs to own a business anyways. So that, that's, that's kind of the, uh, the background of how I got into it. And it was like, how do we make this so simple? So now you don't have to be a, a baking expert to own a cookie franchise because all you're doing is putting pre-portioned cookie dough into the oven, right? It's, it's, it's hard to mess up. So yeah. that's, and, that's kind of the model we've done. Now, here's the beautiful thing about that, Ben, is you have a background, not in restaurants, but as you talked about, you're running a solar company, you have a background in sales. And mm -hmm. a lot of people, when you look at sales, it's like a dirty word. It's a necessary yeah. evil. But what, what it sounds like to me is what you've done is you're like, okay, let's simplify the product and let's get great people who know how to sell it. And that's, that's what you've done with alarms with, did you, you did pests as well? Yeah. Yep. I did pests, pests alarms. Solar. It's like you get a good product and you put it into the sales machine and it, and it works. Right. And so yeah. you teach the mechanics of sales in your case, you want to teach the mechanics of running a dirty dough, but like, don't worry about the product. We'll get the product right for you. You worry mm -hmm. about the sales. So talk to me about, at least that's, that's how it kind of seems as I was, as I was reading through all these, all these stories and articles and learning more about you. T talk to me more about sales and do you find that it's, it's helpful or hurtful in your position with Dirty Dough? So when I worked at Vivint, they said that they were a sales organization that happened to sell security systems. And that's why I feel like we've developed Dirty Doughs. Like we're a sales organization and it's, and it's awesome being the owner of a company and going able to pitch your product. And then obviously you get, uh, you know, objections and feedback and all that. Well, I can go change all that. I, I can make the perfect product, the perfect sellable product, right? And it's like, well, what are the objections? Oh, well, I, I, you know, it's too hard to manage because there's so many employees because you have to weigh the dough by hand in store. Oh, I could fix that, you know, go get, I'm going to get my ops guy to fix that. Oh, well, the packaging costs too much and you can't buy, to get discounts on packaging, you have to buy large quantities. Well, where do I store those large, large quantities? Now I have to get a storage shed and then I'm paying somebody to go back and forth. Well, I could fix that with centralized production, right? I could order hundreds of thousands of boxes and then deliver them as needed at the same time we're delivering dough. So it's just slowly like developing these, what are your issues in a perfect world? Like what's the perfect franchisee? Let's go build that. And, and so that, that was all the sales side in me to be like, okay, what is the most sellable product? And let's build it and then let's perform and let's over deliver on that. So it, that. it was, it was awesome. And I legitimately had no experience, like no food experience coming into this. So sales is all about finding the root cause of, of, of an issue, right? Like why and why and why and why and why and why, and then let's start there and then resolve, resolve those issues. Right. Cause there's a difference between like pushy sales and like, let me help you find what is suited for you by asking questions, right? So that's what I did to, the, I mean, just the whole business is like, let's, let's ask the questions to see what we really need and then work at the issues rather than just like kind of, hey, this is what we have, take it or leave it. And, you know, for most people who are listening to this are very familiar with food. We're in the food industry, but a lot of people who are outside are shocked when they see uh, a Domino's truck pull up to a Domino's location and they're bringing out these big, these big pallets. And like, oh, what's on the pallet? Dough. Oh. <laughs> yeah. What do you mean dough? Domino's doesn't make dough. It's like, no, they have centralized production facility. 
they prep it. And so it's perfect every single time. And I think that that whole concept of lowering the threshold to get in is really interesting. Have And especially with, with what you're doing, like what is the smallest amount of square feet that you need to open up a dirty dough? Like, could, could I, yeah, I guess, I guess what, what would I need uh, minimal, minimal viable product for a, a dirty dough opening? So the, the, we're opening up Pleasant Grove this week and it's 725 square feet. That's going to be the smallest location that we have. So it's like $1,800 a month. It's next that to the biggest. That is bigger than my apartment when I lived in San Francisco. That <laughs> is like twice as big. That is like, yeah, a, but but that's still like super small because I had, I had a very tiny apartment. Yeah, so, so 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 compared to like a you know a crumble or a different one, they're they're looking for fifteen hundred to eighteen, you know maybe two thousand. Like that lease payments eighteen hundred dollars. It's in front of a Walmart parking lot next to the second busiest Domino's in the state because I went and talked with them, and next to the busiest Jimmy John's. Like it's a great location. We paid eighteen hundred dollars a month. Like it's all about. I mean. In my opinion, it's all about lowering the um, break-even point, right? Because these cookie companies, inc including like our vineyard source, killing it. That's it's not going to kill it for thirty years, though. It's not going to kill it for even probably ten years. Like, how much do we have? Three years left of this? Five years? One year? Who knows? How do you build a company that's here to stay, right? And it's like, okay, look at Mrs. Fields. They've been around since 77, 45 years. Great American Cookie Company, 45 years since 77 as well. They both have multiple hundred locations because they've lowered that break-even point by doing the centralized production, smaller square footage, less employees, all of that. So it was like, let's mimic what they've proven for the last 45 years on the back end. And then let's take some of these new concepts with, you know, rotating flavors, giant cookies, multi-layered, you know, all of that, and kind of combine the two models. So we get the high sell potential right now. But when the sales fade, we're still set up to be profitable at half a million in sales or three quarters of a million in sales, rather than like our average store has to do a million and a half or else we're not doing well. Now, have you thought of doing ghost kitchens or dark kitchens? Yeah, yeah, we we started, I mean, I we started in a ghost kitchen out of an ASU apartment, I should say. <laughs> then we moved to a ghost kitchen in Phoenix as we were opening up uh, the actual retail storefront. And then in San Diego, I did actually open up right when I bought the company. The next month, I, I had opened up uh, a ghost kitchen in San Marcos. That's where I was living, right next to Oceanside Carlsbad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they were, we, we shared it with like maybe 26 brands. We were the most popular brand within the first month, like by far. Um, like, we like overwhelmed kitchen. that kitchen. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, it was a shared shared kitchen space. There's eight stations and you'd rent them per hour. Got like we, we, we would go out there because somebody's like, here, you know, I'm here to pick up my order. There's no dirty dough signs. You can't walk in, but they right. did let Uber Eats and them, you know, pull up. You'd go out there and there's 10 cars waiting and you're just knocking on all the way. It was a mess because oh we, we didn't think it was going to like take off like that. We did no paid marketing, zero, zero ad dollars, nothing. And people, people just, people just love the cookies. Have you thought of like selling them out of 7-Elevens or selling them out of like, you know, pizza shops? Yeah, we've, there's a, there's a huge market there um, because you have this cookie craze going on and it's, and it's a warm multi-flavored cookie craze, right? Like that, that's, what's new cookies have been around forever, but what is everybody else doing? They get a plain cookie and then they decorate the top of it, which is labor intensive yeah. or a 7-Eleven you, any products they sell has to be freezer oven packaging. Yep. We yep. have the only multi-flavored product, multi-flavored cookie that allows for that. I will ship you out, you know, a little dough ball that's peanut butter on the outside, 
It already has chocolate dough on the inside and very center has hot fudge. You could just pop that in your oven, whether it's at your house or whether, you know, you're 7-Eleven employee and then boom, now you can participate in this multi-flavored cookie market. So we, we, we've gotten a lot of companies like Circle K, Jackson's Extra Mile, um, Maverick that we've, that have been reaching out to, to get this product in their stores. Well, which is why you guys, when you send out your, your shipping, right. Where you do your, your dirty six and mm -hmm. you ship six cookies in a box, are they frozen or, and like you prep, you like you cook them at home. Those ones are no, the, the those, everything we serve right now is already baked. Even, um, even when I order online to have something yeah. shipped, like nationwide shipping. Yeah. So th those are already baked. They're just two days old cookies. Um, we, we might get into the frozen dough and let franchisees sell the frozen dough, um, in the future. Not, maybe not though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause retail so, is really interesting. I mean, Nathan's hot dogs, they still do well with Nathan's hot dogs. They also have yeah. you know other restaurants selling Nathan's hot dogs, but then you go to a grocery store and you could buy Nathan's hot dogs. You know, there's some interesting, yeah. interesting plays there. So, so you, you, go ahead. I was just gonna say, it, we, we wouldn't, we wouldn't go that route with, with a dirty dough brand. It, we would develop a different company, different product. Cause we, what we don't want to do is compete with our franchisees, totally. but Hey, if we do a cookie, that's half the size, it doesn't have drizzles. It doesn't have toppings. It doesn't do weekly rotating, maybe quarterly rotating. Um, and it, with a different name and a different brand, are, are we competing or are we just expanding the cookie market at that point? Right. right. And then using one centralized production to now service two companies to lower costs for both companies. Exactly. Dunkin' Donuts sells their, their beans in grocery stores, right? It's not yeah. like, it's not like, yeah, I mean, Starbucks as well, you know, you can buy yeah. Starbucks beans anywhere or at every single convenience store, you can buy a bottled Starbucks coffee um, yeah. and then you can go to the store for, you know, more of the premium experience. Now I know that we are running short on time, but I got to ask you this. One thing that you said is you said, we're in a cookie craze right now. Mm -hmm. What, what does that mean? How many more bites of this cookie are we going to be taking in the next few years? Like, what do you predict is going to happen? Because one of the cool things is while you do have the word dough in your title, what you're building is a sales machine. And mm -hmm. so the ability to replace for Vivint to replace uh, or to add on, like they started off uh, as you and I both know, uh, I know Todd Peterson really well, and they started off as pest control and then they yep. switched to alarms and then home automation and now solar as well, right? Like the, yep. the method of selling has stayed pretty similar, but what they sold and how they sold it has evolved and in some cases completely changed. So I know you, it's cool because you're setting up this sales process of like, you could, you could replace cookies with something else. Um, but talk to me about what is, this, what is this zeitgeist that's happening right now with cookies? Why cookies? Why now? What's next? How long? Man, those are good questions that I wish I knew the answer to. <laughs> I have no idea how long. And it scares the it scares me to sell a franchise knowing that we're probably in a cookie craze. So how do I sleep at night? Well, I know that I have the lowest break-even point out of anybody else. Like we, if these if every cookie company goes out of business, we're the last ones because our cost of goods is less, our labor's less, our square footage is less, our quality Red is higher after more the yogurt craze. Right. Yeah. So again, I don't think cookies are a fad. Mrs. Fields has hundreds of locations for 45 years. Great American cookies, hundreds of locations, 45 years. Insomnia cookies, hundreds of locations over 20 years. But check out Crumble's FDD numbers. This is public info. 
1,687,000 average gross sales per store. That's a fad. Like that there's no there's no if ands or buts about like that is a fad. You can't have an average cookie store doing just under 1.7 million. What's more reasonable? 500,000 to maybe 800,000. I think you can do that for 40 years, right? Yeah. So are you profitable? I don't think Crumble is profitable at that going off of their FDD and their low numbers and their high numbers and breaking it down. Um, maybe they are, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but uh, I'm a numbers guy and I cannot figure out how they'd be profitable at those, at those numbers. So, so I guess that's the, what I'm building is just, it's the can we be highly profitable at half a million dollars? Because that's reasonable. That's yeah. reasonable. We can, we can predict that for several years. There's no guarantee, right? But half a million dollars, is a little bit more realistic than 1,687,000. <laughs> are you thinking about, is there any future where you're not selling cookies or where you're adding different things to the menu? We have ice cream and we just added shakes to further eliminate waste. We use our day-old cookies. We put them back in the refrigerator and then the next day you can order a shake. Um, we already had cookie, or we already had ice cream in the store. So we do, this is the best product. You go to Dirty Dough, get the, get the ice cream with the cookie. I mean, the cookie with the ice cream. So you get a warm cookie in a bowl and you put your ice cream on top. We just do chocolate and vanilla right now. And then you do the same drizzles like caramel, chocolate, um, hot fudge, marshmallow that we use on the cookies anyway. Um, anyways, so we were already serving that product. Now it's like, Hey, what do we do with our day old cookies rather than just throw them away? Let's resell them the next day as shakes, which is already a high margin item. We have eight cookies at a time, two flavors of ice cream at any given time. All of a sudden, boom, we have 16 flavors of shake with a, you know, $600 Vitamix mixer, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So we don't use a blender. So you don't have to deal with the cleaning of the blender and the waste on the blender. It's like kind of like a McFlurry type machine. Yep, yep. Um, but other than cookies and ice cream, we thought about coffee. Probably won't do it, but that's that. If, if we did something else, that's what we'd go into is is coffee. Yeah. Well, I, I love the whole the simplicity of things because that's why Five Guys works. That's why yeah. everyone during COVID has been shaving their menu items because you got to simplify your menu. Yeah. And if it's simple. That means you don't, that means you have less chances of people messing it up, which means higher chance of loyalty because you have this mm -hmm. consistent guest experience, which leads me to my next question, which is what do you think is the most important aspect of guest experiences nowadays, Bennett? Uh, I, 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 I'm going to copy you, I guess. You set me up terribly. <laughs> now I look like well, the coffee cat. Well, just, it seems to be a, a habit here, huh? <laughs> No, 100% guest experience. It's all about the real, like if I go, is the store going to be open when it's, like, am I going to wait 30 minutes one time and then five minutes the next time? Or is it an even five to 10 minutes? Are they going to have the cookies that are, I think these are all struggles that we have right now that we're working on fixing because we're, we're brand new company, right? But I think that consistency, um, I mean, the competition's like, oh, this is the world's best cookie. I think we have better cookies than them. But I was never after the best cookie. I was after the best process, right? Who's got the best Mexican food? It's not Taco Bell. Panda Express does not have Chinese food. McDonald's does not have the best burger. You know, like it's not, it's not about that. It's about the consistency and the reliability with a good product. And I think we're kind of hitting it double, you know, kind of getting lucky on this one because I do think we have a better product than the competition and we definitely have a better model. I think that is such an interesting concept because we talk about it in, in technology companies all the time about building a better mousetrap. And it doesn't have to be a wildly different product, but if you have a better mousetrap, 
you're going to catch more mice, right? Yep. People could talk about the bait all that they want, but at the end of the day, it's about how many mice and how much did it cost you? Yep. And I think that's where, and I hate to be talking about mice on talking to juxtaposed with such delicious cookie talk, but I think that that concept, I love that you're taking that same philosophy to food because mm-hmm. so often all of these barriers that you're talking about have been it, it, historically kind of just standard barriers. You're going into food. You're going to have to have a high break even. You're going to have to have frustrating franchise. You're going to have to have hard labor. Like all of these things that you're saying, be, and I think because you're an outsider coming in, it's like, well, why? Yeah. Can't, can't we just not do that? And everyone's like, well, well, I, I, I guess so, Maybe. but <laughs> I'll sue you if you do. <laughs> yeah. So, l- lastly, um, any, any successful tactics that you've, that you've uh, tried lately that you want to share? Um, in business, just general. Yeah. For, for other restaurateurs. Oh, successful practice for other franchisors. I mean, we, we lean really heavily to just what, how can we reduce the labor? I mean, that's, that's where we're at and make it dummy proof. So right now, all of our cookies are made to be baked at the same time, temperature and fan speed. So you literally like Zach, I'm going to train you on how to run a dirty dough. You're going to grab a speed rack, you're going to wheel it into the walk-in cooler. You're going to grab 15 cookies, place them three by five on the cookie sheet, open up the oven, shut it, press start. And it's like, unless you tripped on your way out, like that's, that's how you mess up. Right. You, there's, there's no measurements. There's no quality control. There's no, like, was it made right? Did I measure it? Did I pat the flour versus scooping or leveling? Like, I don't even, I've still never made cookies before, but it's just, how do we make that as simple as possible? And the next thing that we're exploring right now is like the little Caesars pizza portals right? The, 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 the yeah. foods already, the cookies are sitting there. So we have an insert that we have to put in our box to prevent the grease. But now Uber Eats drivers could come in. They don't have to talk to anybody. They just scan a code on their phone. This locker pops open, they grab their orders, they're gone. So it's like, that's a third of our business. We no longer have to talk to if we can execute correctly on that strategy. So I'm actually flying to uh, Scottsdale in two weeks to go check out the machine they just built for us. Um, so anyway, that, that automation is really what we're looking for. Yeah, and, and all these traders I go to, especially like uh, National Restaurant Association in Chicago, cook the food lockers are huge. They mm-hmm. have heated, cooled, ambient. Anyway, there's some really cool stuff going on there with food lockers to, to check out. And who deserves an ovation in the restaurant industry? Anyone that we should be following besides yourself, of course? Um, a, lot, a, a lot of my success is, I mean, it's just, it's just copying other people, right? Of like what's already been there. Um, but I'm really, really in awe of what the savory fund has built Andrew Smith. And he's been a really good mentor, um, to all of us. So Andrew Smith at savory fund owns like the R and R barbecue and Mo Betta's, which is my freaking favorite place of all time. Um, crack shack swig, a lot of really good brands. I think they're doing, don't forget about via or P show. Yeah. They've got some great stuff coming. I know it's finally bringing it to Utah. We love working with them. They're awesome, awesome partners with Ovation. So yeah, totally love that. Andrew, Shauna Smith, um, Alonzo Castaneda, Josh. I mean, Josh uh, Beauchard. There's some some great people over there to to follow. Uh, But yeah, Savory Fund, definitely. Now, Bennett, how do people find and follow you? Um, My website is Bennett Maxwell, B-E-N-N-E-T-T. M-A-X-W-E-L-L. So on there, you can, you know, have it. There's a link to go to the website to inquire about franchising or just following me on social media. If you want some uh, smart ass comments about 
getting sued on boxes and you want to see our billboards that we threw up. I try to post every day on LinkedIn and uh, Facebook, Instagram, um, try to add as much value as I can. And Bennett is just crushing that. So check out BennettMaxwell.com, double N, double T, double L. Uh, Bennett, for standing up for the little guys and showing us that being sweet ain't so hard. Today's ovation goes to you. Thank you so much for joining us on Give Ovation. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Zach. Glad you're with us today and thank you. Thank you to the risk takers, the troublemakers, the crazies who are keeping this world clothed and fed. You're the ones who deserve an ovation. Again, this podcast was sponsored by Ovation. To see how we can help you grow your business, go to OvationUp.com. Don't forget to subscribe. And as always, remember to give someone in your life an ovation today.